Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade-filled movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. I'm not going to do the so sexy thing again. We're not going to do that. I'm just plain old. <sighs> I'm plain old Will Johnson. Plain old um, Will Johnson. Got it. Not not. However. Not, uh, yeah, I am Sergeant just, William Johnson on a horse well, trying to invade Mexico. No, I okay. was just going to say that in the rankings of all-time great Hispanic actors, uh, Anthony Hopkins is obviously number one, but I'm number two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know that's that's going to play. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you can't figure out what we've got going here, uh, we're damn glad to have you. We'll tell you about it in a second. This is all for Tantrum Sick, where shared passions and high fives will wash away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hiss if it is on. While that intro just came across, you're going through your movie Rolodex of where in the hell did Hopkins play a, Hispani- a, a Spanish guy, Hispanic person? Well, this week, we're going to talk about The Mask of Zorro from 1998. It is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Um, it made the top 10 of my 100 uh, favorites of all time when we did our 100th episode a couple months back. And uh, Will is kind of doing a bit of a Martin Campbell deep dive. And that brings us here where I can't recommend this movie enough. But uh, it was nice to get Will in here for, for that. So our format, ladies and gents, is this. The Recommending Lover, which will be me at you know skyrocketing at number 10 with the biggest you know biggest uh rapier boner i can i'll go first i'll have five uninterrupted minutes to you know load management shower my brains and state my high mind in case why it's a swashbuckling classic um the hater which is not a very far cry behind you'll see where will's coming from uh he will follow with a five uninterrupted minutes of his own to present his counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth after that, we'll open it up for about a half hour of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets chippy and the swords get pointy and clothes get ripped off, right? Is that what we do to women uh, in 1860s? Mexico? I do that to women. I did that today. To a woman. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it, just another Tuesday, right? <laughs> it's, that's right. Another Tuesday in the Johnson household or wherever. Um, all right. That's weird, but. Mm-hmm. No, Moving we're good. <laughs> yeah, so The Mask of Zorro. Uh, this landed for me at, um, at, yeah, number 10 of my all-time top 10 in terms of making just good old-fashioned favorites. You know me, you've heard me talk on the show where I separate best from favorite. This is probably one of those movies for me where I, I do see its warts, I do see its little pieces here and there, but uh, this is not far behind in the in the best and favorite kind of you know Venn diagram for me where I just... Look at this w- movie, the way it came out, the way it kind of presented itself. Um, Hopkins' racial uh, uh, or ethnic background aside, um, you, I find myself hard-pressed to find better modern attempts at anything swashbuckling in the world. Like, this is the, you know, the reincarnation of Errol Flynn because uh, movies used to, I mean... Other than Westerns and some things in the 50s, you know, it's been a long time since movies have been this fun. And we've been obviously sword fights and movies and things like that have kind of come to the way of lightsabers or hyperkinetic editing and all that. And or, of course, you know, they've been dressed up a little further with with higher visual effects or, you know, just more green screen things like you watch something like 300. Don't get me wrong. 300 has got amazing uh, sword fighting and, and, you know, pugilistic melee and things like that. But uh this thing is just all natural, completely out there, and I just am super impressed every single time I watch it about how much they were able to pull off, you know, blending actors and stunt work in, in just the most classical sense of, of a movie where it looks gorgeous. 
you know, ripping yeah. through its, you know, sunsets and color. But if you were to paint this thing black and white and, you know, release it 40 years ago, it would still play. It, it's just so, so darn good. Um, I just, I, yeah, I mean, I was one of those kids where, I mean, I probably grew up in enough of a classic TV household where, you know, I ran into enough Lone Ranger. I ran into enough old Zorro on some Disney, you know, afternoon or whatever was able to play on, you know, crappy television. And, and I knew, I knew his lore. I knew, I mean, I knew he predated Batman by a half a century in terms of just, you know, being that guy, being that adventurer, being that hero, being that a double man in disguise between a, a rich man pretending to kind of be a vigilante for the people. And I just, um, I'm one of those people who can kind of take that lens and completely recognize that this is there's legitimacy there. I know a lot of people watch this and go, oh, it's just fucking Batman. And I'm like, well, hey, now this oh. predates Batman by a whole lot. And Batman borrows a shit ton from Zorro in yep. the same way that, you know, um, Star Wars and Avatar borrow things from like Edgar Rice Burroughs and John Carter. So it's something I just really respect of uh, just the, the pure storytelling that's going on here. I know three people put this screenplay together, kind of a mod podge of people between uh, Terry Rossio, Ted Elliott and John Escott. But Martin Campbell coming right off the, the heat that was Golden Eye, you know, kind of bringing back James Bond to a new audience. Um, he was able to catch a this into catch a bond into this and uh you know uh they gave um they gave a 95 million dollar budget to make this thing and it um initially was supposed to this is another one of those kind of delayed movies where i remember getting the trailer for this in in 97 like oh hey is this going to come out at christmas time and you know be in time for you know the holidays and stuff like that but a little movie called titanic rolled around where this movie quietly, not to the same level as Titanic, if I remember correctly, but got itself delayed to summer of 1998, and that couldn't have landed in a better place. Gross $250 million is uh, just, uh, I'm a swoon machine, you know, for, for Antonio Banderas. I just love what he can do. Mm. Um, this is a perfect role for his, not just his swagger and his uh, charisma, but just, um, he's got some physical comedy here he's obviously cool enough to still do stunt work and boy he just looks the part feels the part is the part and then Catherine zeta jones i mean i mm. think i saw the phantom a little bit before this but i thought nothing of her in that movie but oh my god does she just radiate out of this movie as just the discovery of discoveries where she went on you know she would go on a hot streak here of just being an immediate a-lister after this where you, everyone just goes who is that woman and it was just such an impressive thing. And for me, this, this is kind of two movies in a row that Banderas has been able to do that because Salma Hayek, again, walks through that street in Desperado and you're like, who is that girl? And she has never left our zeitgeist and, and you know, <laughs> male mentality since and all that. But um, yeah, I, I cannot I cannot appreciate this movie enough for good adventures, swashbuckling. Uh, sensibilities, even Hopkins giving gravitas in a place where he probably is too old to do so. And just the, I don't know, just the, it's a, such a unique example of adventure, sexiness, a little bit of history, uh, amazing, uh, you know, amazing stunt work on um, the music from Horner. I, I don't have a, if, if, if Hopkins is, background is the only flaw of this movie, other than a couple of quips here and there. I'll, I, I'm fine with that. You can play the card of, you know, European people in the 1800s weren't quote unquote Hispanic. Like he's from Spain and not from Mexico and that, that kind of thing where I, I, 
I give it a pass. This is not La La Land stealing jazz. So um, I'm easily <laughs> pleased with this one. So um, yeah, I just, I love it. it. It's just so much fun. I, it's one of those movies where, because it's got some PG 13 sensibilities to it, I can't quite show it to my kids yet, but we've watched mm. Tyrone power. We've watched other Zoros and I'm just building up to the point where they can handle this one with a fucking head in a jar. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, you mentioned something. I'm starting my five minutes now. Uh, you mentioned something about Catherine Zeta Jones, um, and this will this will tie into my history with this film, which is not very extensive, but I'll explain in a minute. But yeah, 1997 and 1998. Um, and I don't. Uh, I, maybe maybe I got some of the years wrong of what I'm about to talk about. But Catherine Zeta Jones owned trailers because you know you had that scene where you know they show it in the trailer where you know he's sword fighting her and nips her dress off a little bit you know and you're like oh my god and then uh i i don't know if it was 98 or 99 but then there was that movie entrapment with um sean connery where Catherine Zeta jones is uh doing all kinds of interesting moves to get through the laser the mm-hmm. laser alarms, you know, and they have that one shot of her butt just going down and like, it's the, like there's like a bass drop in the trailer and you're just like, oh shit, I got to see that movie just for an ass. You know, like Catherine Zeta-Jones was the queen of that. Now, obviously she's parlayed that into, not to say she wasn't doing legitimate roles because she's excellent, but I mean, she, like you said, she used that A-list stuff and, and eventually, you know, kind of rode that wave all the way to an Oscar with Chicago, which she was excellent. Um, but yeah, the, this was one of these films that, um, I saw, uh, a trailer for and was like, but, but just like Goldeneye a couple years before it, I was at a very young, impressionable age. So even though the movie was PG 13, you know, the Goldeneye trailer with Bomke Johnson, you know, in orgasmic, uh, you know, uh, happiness at, during the violence, you know, and uh and this trailer with you know Catherine Zeta Jones and sexy outfit getting cut off and everything like this was one of those things where I think I was I would have been 98 I would have been I don't know 15 14 I don't know something like that and I mean that's that's impressionable and I also think unlike today in which we kind of live in a trailer culture where the trailer becomes like its own movie in itself and isn't really about advertising the movie anymore it's about getting views and sucking people in you know, trailers back then were really intriguing. You know, they got you intrigued. They didn't give away too much. And they had a level, especially at that age, of sexiness to it. And there was no denying that when the Mask of Zorro trailer came on, I might have blushed a little bit or I might have been a little uncomfortable if I was sitting next to my parents, you know, because there was there was a little bit more going on there than uh, than meets the eye, you know. And, and like you said, it does push PG-13 a lot, this movie. I mean, there's there's severed heads and jars there's near nudity there's a lot of a lot of sexual energy something that um you know martin campbell director is really good at i mean he's really good at having that palpable sexual energy in a lot of his movies um so yeah uh but here's the thing i never saw it so i watched this for the first time uh, a couple days ago before recording this and uh, you guys know me. I'm a Marvel shill. I've also been a comic book reader my whole life. And I've, um, I, I love costumed superhero tales. I know this isn't a superhero in the, in the sense of like someone with superpowers, but 
this was just looking at the history of Zorro. Um, and also, you know, kind of looking at the modern day culture right now of superhero films, this is kind of just like the written version of Zorro was a precursor to comic books in America. Um, this movie is kind of a precursor to the superhero films we would get much later, you know, with Iron Man and moving onwards. Now, there were superhero films after this, of course, in 98 and during. I mean, we were about to hit the first golden age of superhero films with, you know, Blade and X-Men and Spider-Man. But this one felt more, watching it with modern eyes of today, this felt like an MCU film in a lot of ways. It introduces a lot of things. It has a similar structure, has a great sense of humor, has a, has a great, you can tell that the filmmakers have a loving uh, care for the original source material, as well as the movies that were made, you know, with Douglas Fairbanks and stuff. There is a beautiful sense of tribute to movies of yesteryear in this, be it the wonderful set design or, uh, you know, the, the, the old fashioned fighting. The fact that, yeah, even though there is a severed head in a jar at one point, there's never any moments. The, the the fighting is so almost like musical and playful that you never feel like there's any real danger. And that kind of adds to the excitement and fun. Uh, yet there's still stakes. It's kind of a, a well-balanced thing. Um, the best thing I can compare it to is uh, with Frank Darabont's The Majestic when he had a opening sequence, which you can find on YouTube. You can find the full film of uh, Bruce Campbell as, you know, the, I can't remember what he was, the, the, pirate of whatever you know where mm -hmm. it's a very old school thing and and this has just that great modern sensibility of the 90s uh but also has is very loving tribute to films of yesteryear and i thought i mean can i put it in my top 10 all time no but i definitely ah, yeah. really honest. really really enjoyed it i thought it was gotcha yeah, no, um, folks, thanks for those opening five minutes. Or please enjoy this short announcement from the Ruminations Radio Network. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, yeah, welcome back. No, I, I admit, um, being a kid who grew up on adventure movies, you know, either... Because, like... There are shades of, and as like you said, being a '90s movie, it's still very '90s. You know, like this movie borrows from Raiders of the Lost Ark, it borrows from even some of, um, uh, even some of those, just the '90s '80s action where you're, you're you're trying to, or the '80s era action where you're obviously you have a you know a man who's out, you know, kind of got a girl on the side that's a, kind of a target as much as the goal of the movie, and they're gonna you know move in that direction, have that tension along the way. But um, but no, uh, as a guy who yeah, watch the the Errol Flynn stuff of Robin Hood, or, or the you know the old Tyrone Power stuff of Old Zorro. Where I just think it it could fit in that very very well. I think one thing that helps with that is um James Horner's music, mm. um that kind that castanet flavored Spanish tinge that he puts you know his yeah. his usual instrumentation through, but just the just the 
a playful energy that goes with also the sweeping themes where like it, and, and I love your, I love, love, love your Marvel comp where you're right. This movie walks so Marvel can run for sure. Because like yeah. the template, like you said, is kind of there of, um, you obviously have kind of a, a, a secondary origin story where, you know, you have your existing Zoro that's kind of, you know, doing his thing, but he's going to pass the torch to someplace else. And that there, that requires this kind of a second origin of the origin, which still kind of parallels where, you know, the character's going to anyway. But, um, but yeah, you have a lot going on. You have the, the family angle with, you know, the kidnapped daughter is, is definitely, you know, Spanish novella level kind of stuff here a little bit, but, uh, mm-hmm. but it plays well and it works a little bit. And, um, you have the, the land grab arc, you've got a little history in there. You have an excuse to have a big explosion at the end and put all that together. And that's Martin Campbell for sure. Where what's one big fucking thing we can blow up at the end. Ooh, I got just the thing. And it, it all just lands right. And, um, uh, I love the, uh, the, the Hopkins death scene, the music that comes on when that's going in there. I mean, it's a, it's a Hollywood movie, you know, doing ho- old Hollywood stuff. And it's, um, I, I just, um, just, yeah, super impressed. And I wish more, I, I watch movies today. I think this is why my love for it grows is because one, I've started to read the books that go with this, you know, mm-hmm. or at least, at least the OG books that the character started on. None of them come across like this movie at all, but, um, but no, I just love the, the the foppish nature of the the two-sided character where you have the the pretend rich man and then you have the the swaggering hero and it plays super well off the page with that old pulpy dialogue from you know years ago that we, people just don't write and talk that way anymore and it plays but this plays great and then um the other thing is um we see especially now that we're in this marvel phase where we just watched ant-man and we just watched all these movies where there's just so we can't the lines are so blurred with visual effects that things just we, we're questioning the pristineness and the fakeness that's out there whereas you got a movie like this and other than a couple of other than a couple of great mats and a couple of you know forced perspective to put some sun silhouettes in there you got as genuine of a good looking bright vibrant just heroic movie that they just don't make anymore and it's a shame they don't oh, yeah. I, I miss that there is yeah that this is um now i don't know if it's just because of the era you and I grew up in since we're virtually the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just something about, um, there's just something about the nineties films that just hit different than eighties yeah. films, 2000. Now there is, and also because of our age, like mm-hmm. I, I, there is kind of a look and feel to certain 2000 movies that you, what we can't get rid of. I don't know if saving private Ryan started it in the late nineties with that kind okay. of, with that kind of, uh, what is it? Um, that scuff lens thing or something else? Yeah. The scuff lens and the kind of, uh, what do you call it? Like over saturated. Ah, yeah. Look. Cause like, like children of men would go there. Yeah. A, couple like, years, a like, decade later, you know? I've yeah. Been, I've been catching up on some stuff that I, uh, stuff I've been, uh, trying to catch up with stuff that I've missed from that era for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, and I, unfortunately, like, unlike 90s movies where I'm like really engaged with it because of the way it looks, it just feels right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 2000 stuff, like, I recently watched like City of God. I think it's a great movie or Slumdog Millionaire. Like, I think those sure. are fine movies, but I cannot stand the visual style of it. That hyperkinetic, oversaturated. Oh, the look of, kind of the shaky cam that goes with some of this. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. That, like, that to me represents the 2000s and i don't necessarily like that i don't and the world was changing but the 90s i don't know if it's capturing a little bit a bit of piece of my childhood Mm -hmm. and growing up 
or they just made movies differently. Like you said, they just don't make movies like this Zorro movie anymore. But there's something about a 90s movie, and this fits the bill perfectly. This is this might be one of like the storybook examples. Yeah. Of like a dictionary, like you open the dictionary on a 90s film and you know, Mask of Zorro is in there mm-hmm. because it just has a feel to it where it's like you know it's 90s, it feels 90s, but it doesn't unlike maybe some things in the 90s like you know, maybe some of the early, you know, Gen X or kind of stuff like Kevin Smith films or something or Link mm-hmm. or whatever. This just has that big studio 90s feel where, you know, you, you see where the money's going. Right. Big set pieces. Yeah. But it also just looks gorgeous. I, I think we're having a problem now in film. I think we can all agree. Even I can agree as the Marvel show that mm-hmm. some some productions are choosing one or the other like you'll get something like the most recent slate of marvel films where you know you might get good story but the visuals are lacking or you might get something like dune where the visuals are astounding Mm -hmm. but there's no emotional connection behind it and so like oh i know it feels like back in the 90s they just knew how to get both like this zorro um is just gorgeous to look at, but also has that playfulness and unseriousness that I think movies like movies either have to be super serious now, you know what I'm saying? Like they just, they don't, it seems to be able to handle all its tones so well. Mm-hmm. I and agree. You, and you can enjoy yourself and no one's ever going to question like, is it truly a quote unquote film? Because it looks like a thousand bucks or oh, whatever, <laughs> a yeah. million bucks. And it, it feels like it too. Like, I don't know. It's hard to explain putting the words, but, but like I knew the minute like this movie started, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I am going to love this in some way because yeah. it just feels right. It just feels like something. And you're, it, 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 it does open like just that. Um, and I know it's a stunt double, clearly a stunt double, not Hopkins, but like just that, yeah, that opening rescue scene in the, in the, and the hanging shooting firing squad square and you know the the leap to the balcony the way the people chant you you have all extras there's not a you know there's not a green screen in sight great stunts great effects uh, amazing you know the the sword fighting and jumps up to that balcony cuts the z in the bad guy's neck and you're like damn there's some there's some heat here you know and in terms of heroes and villains and and i think that also helps here a little bit is i got to give some props to Stuart wilson i I mean you've got to you've got to actually yeah you've got a delectably bad no shades of gray no sympathetic bullshit villain where no pure evil or at least like no no ifs ands or buts about it in for himself in for what he wants unrelenting and i think that helps a lot like i think too often and that's another aughts and 2000s problem is uh you, we keep wanting to do the sympathetic villain thing or or they have to be inevitably tied a little stronger than they are to the hero or a, or a flip of the hero completely and all that but mm-hmm. no i mean you have equally rich man to diego de la vega with with hopkins's character you have a you know a, another nobleman but uh just just slanted a completely different way and smiles every chance he gets to do it where just you can tell Stuart Wilson's having fun. Um, he could j- jumped into this role uh, four months after everyone else when Armand Sante had to back out with scheduling conflicts, doing the Odyssey miniseries that he did forever on. I don't know what channel it was, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I, I love Armand Sante. He's got that voice and all that, sure, but sure. Stuart Wilson plays that just that stiff Brit <sighs> asshole that you need here. Yeah. Stuart Wilson is an interesting actor to me because um my favorite 
action franchise, Lethal Weapon. He and 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 we'll talk about this also with our episode on No Escape, which should be yeah. after this. But I kind of feel like if you go through the chronology of Lethal Weapon three, ninety two, No Escape, and then this, yeah, I think he's on a run. He's not. Well, here's the thing: the, the Lethal Weapon movies are known for their really strong mm-hmm. villains, and mm-hmm. unfortunately. Stuart Wilson kind of comes in last place in that yeah, quadrilogy of films. You're right there. Like, there's something just a little bit off. Like, I like the idea of him as Jack Travis. I like the idea of him as kind of this former cop who's now using the system against people to sell weapons and, you know, do dirty shit. And I like that. And he does, but he, there's just something a teeny bit off, like that just doesn't sell it. It's, it's, it's one of the weakest parts of Lethal Weapon 3 is Stuart Wilson mm-hmm. here. You're looking for that, you know, you don't have a Gary Busey or a Robert Mitchell. Right. You don't, you don't have the uh, Joss Acklin and the, the kind of like sinister South African guys they had in two. And of course, yeah. you're not going to touch Jet Li in four. No, so not there was something just a, a little bit missing. And then we, I watched No Escape recently. We'll talk about that more in our episode. But he's clearly doing an Alan Rickman from Robin Hood in that one where... In no escape. He, he's yeah. in no escape where he's just he's just being manic and crazy for the sake of being yeah. manic and crazy. And, and maybe even more manic than Rickman. Like Rickman was it, affluently kind of like, you know, I got the like look at the suit, you know, like like the yeah, way he talks and, to Takagi before he blows his brains out. Like he's playful. But then well, yeah, you're right. He, yeah, Wilson took, in No Escape is like really dialing it up, like, let me let me drop pop culture phrases all day long and Yeah, they but took, here, it's like they took it's like they took Yeah. It's like they took, um, they said, okay, maybe that's what's great about the performance of the sheriff in Nottingham. Let's just take that part. And they didn't ah, get sure. into the complex stuff. But this, I guess my point is, if you look at this progression, like I feel like those two performances, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is in this one, he, and it might have been because it took five years or whatever. Maybe. But yeah. he really nails it here. I think and so. And he's it's a fantastic so villain. Um, and he just he he has the sinisterness. He does have a little bit of a playful nature to him, but it's not mm-hmm. over the top, right? Um, he's not he, dancing on graves. He's still yeah, stoically yeah. evil, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. It'll pull it'll pull a sword out though, which is fun, you know. But yeah, uh, that's the cool part yeah. too. Is he's he's actually like a yeah, he's actually kind of a menacing, mm-hmm. like in Lethal Weapon three and. No escape. I at no points was I ever like worried about the hero, like legitimately. Yeah. Like, like I'm not worried about Martin Riggs killing Jack Travis, and I'm 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 not worried about Ray Liotta winning in the end against this goofball. But this one, there's some legitimate, and and, and the cool thing is, and and I got to give some credit to an actor that I, I don't really know that well, Matt Lesher. Yeah, who nice secondary the, heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the really cool thing about this is that the heavies in these in this movie kind of function on multiple levels because you've got Anthony Hopkins and Stuart Wilson is kind of his bad guy, but Agreed. by association, he's also Antonio Banderas's bad guy, mm-hmm. but Antonio Banderas also has his own bad guy. So you kind of have this like yeah, almost return the of the Jedi, like you got this return of the Jedi kind of thing where you've got these multiple battles going on at once between these parties. Um, but you know, like they're they're well connected, so it's not like you're because Antonio Banderas is essentially the hero of the movie. Obviously, he's the master sure. of Zorro. He's Zorro, 
but Anthony Hopkins is an integral part of it. But instead of like the main villain detracting from Antonio Banderas, like they find a way to like weave it in comfortably. So that way, you know, he's a villain for all people, <laughs> not just mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins. So it ties in kind of great. So he is, and he gets that, uh, he gets that job. Stuart Wilson gets that job of being the foil for both of them. So he can have his tortured history with Anthony Hopkins. And then he can be like, who is this annoying upstart with Antonio Banderas? It's kind of a, a nice little ballet they're doing where he gets yeah. to play like two types of villains. It's kind of cool. Like it's kind of a cool. It works. Performance. It works really Not overpacked. Well. You know, they both yep. have, they all have their standout little spots. Like yeah. the, the scene I'm talking about with the head in the jar, like Lesher gets his moment to kind of size up, you know, um, uh, Alejandro and and obviously there's you know I think at your Zorro and I'm pretty sure you're Zorro but we're gonna have this conversation like this and it works you know and yeah they they all kind of have their layers of moments and of course you get to that fight where old guys are fighting old guys young guys are fighting young guys and it works just fine so yeah it it's I just I, oh man I'm just just the sword fighting oh my gosh it's um it's Bob Anderson the guy who trained Errol Flynn back in the day um. He would go on to help out after this movie. He would go on to get into the Lord of the Rings and do all the fight and sword training for Lord of the Rings. So, I mean, the yeah. dude's been around, right? He said in a in an interview that Antonio Banderas, you know, for two months and 10 hours a day, was the most gifted swordsman he had ever worked with since Flint. I'm like, he damn, actually, Banderas. He actually said that on the Lord of the Rings uh, mm-hmm. special features. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so it, it actually was, I, I don't think it was on any kind of Zorro stuff. It was something mm-hmm. that was pulled from back when Lord of the Rings, you know, had those massive DVDs with all the bonus content. Like oh, I know. I miss those, yeah. He, and he said that. Um, yeah, he does a good job with that. And um, I, I do want to talk about maybe the reason why I did not give this five stars, despite okay. all the nice, happy feelings I have. I do <laughs> okay. think. I do think that, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, and, and this may be difficult to disagree with because obviously it worked for you, especially mm-hmm. at a younger age, and it still works for you now. Um, I think there is, there is an undercover plot in the middle of the film that seems to take forever. Like, <laughs> is this like, the gold I mean, thing? No this, is, no, this is the thing where Antonio Banderas has to pretend he's a Don and right. go to this party. Yeah. And great get party invited by the way. to the dinner. You know it is. It, it's yeah. it's a it's a good sequence, but it's really yeah, yeah. long. And like you almost forget for a while. And and that's and I know people are gonna be like, well, that's because you're a superhero person, but like <laughs> like okay. I was really into the Zorro stuff. So like, you know, um That's a departure in the middle there, yeah. So there's a, a really long departure. Now that is great, obviously, for um character building and making you like making you like one thing i've always said about the reason why i like certain superhero stuff is because it's not about the mask or the costume it's Mm -hmm. about the person underneath and i think you're i think you're answering your own question here where i'm gonna say yeah right right it's it is very good at making you like fall in love with the characters i just i just think it from an editing standpoint Mm, i was kind of like looking at my watch like are they really gonna still be at this party like 40 minutes later like it just felt yeah that's that a little bogged down to me like the rest of the movie like is really fast paced yeah i felt like it just kind of that's fair slog and and i see what you're saying yeah i only my only complaint about the film i think um 
I think what piles on heavy is because this is a 137 minute movie for sure. I mean, it's thick. Um, that middle side, I love the party because this is our chance for Alejandro to show that he can clean up and play the undercover part. And it's kind of, it's kind of part of Zorro's thing is you, you play the fop and, but you're the, you know, you're still the vigilante killer underneath. So, and by having the poor and more humble origins of where the, the, and Tony Banderas' character, Alejandro, comes from where he's not a nobleman. He's just, you know, a plain old citizen who l- looked up to Zorro back in the day. This, you need him to kind of, can he elevate to become, kind of follow the same birthright that goes with being Zorro is you got you got to kind of be a Don at some point, too. So I like the party scene. And of course, you get the great, great fucking dance. Um, and then once you get kind of to the map room and you see, you know, the big scheme that that Stuart Wilson's villain is up to. Very Lex Luthor. Um, yeah, very Lex. Yeah, the land grab thing. Um, oh, yeah, totally Lex Luthor. I didn't think of it like that. Um, that part's all good. I think what piles on and I know it's a setup to get to a couple other more character development things. But that scene at the mine the next day, that's where it starts to like, all right. We've been away from Zoro a little too long. That's a little thick because you you got the three fingered Jack, you know, showdown, and then of course we have the you know the Harrison Love and Alejandro showdown with the jars that I'm talking about, where um, like some of that, it, yeah. By the time you get through all of that, you're you're there a while. I, I'll agree with that. Luckily, once you get past that, it's fucking go mode the rest of the movie because oh, yeah, then sure. you get the info, you get the infiltration scene, you get the the erotic, you know, strip the strip sword fight which goes right into the horses which goes right into the ending and like it, it it's if you have if that's the little crust you got to get over i can handle it but i get why i totally no, get what no, you're saying. well yeah i'm not saying it's like yeah crippling the movie or anything it's no just, no no it's just that like i was so engaged with where it was going mm-hmm. and, it, and that's a tough i mean that's a tough task in this kind of superhero culture that we live in now because yeah origin stories are not really where it's at anymore you know and that was actually why i think a lot of superhero films in the mid 2000s didn't do well because people were like okay just get to the point like we get it like and this did not give me that feeling because i wanted to see not only where anthony hopkins came from but i also wanted to see um Antonio Banderas becomes Zorro. So like I, mm-hmm. so it, it had me, like, I wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't yeah. like going through the motions, just waiting for him to become Zorro. It was engaging and interesting. And like I said, it's not going to cripple the enjoyment for me. I know that if I watch it again, which is something I might consider doing. Cause I, I, I enjoyed it that much. Yeah. You know, that'll, that'll be the part where I'm like, okay, just buckle down, <laughs> buckle yeah. down for this next 30 minutes. Once you know it's there. Yeah, and that you you said that you said that before in many rewatches of other movies. Like once you kind of know it's there, your 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 um your buildup is there where you all right. I I know what's coming. I can sit through it and I got it. You know, especially when I know what's coming next. And yeah, I you you'll be all right. Um, I, I'm always amazed in this movie how much comedy there is. Hilarious. I mean, just um, yeah. like when Alejandro kind of puts the, the, the build-up mask on, just kind of the, the bandana mask on to go steal that horse. And the silly fight with the, 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 the stable crew and soldiers and the you know giant Gonzalez from the WWE and all that. Like It's just one little gag to another, and it, and it plays with Banderas' charisma. It plays with, again, the, the stunt choreography and the stunt work in the movie. You know, but and just little payoffs here, little payoffs there. You got your little confessional scene where you still get the girl involved, and just that, like that first scene of like Antonio cooking, 
as Zoro, or at least pretend Zoro at that point. Man, it's just so much fun. So I, I just the comedy and then the way Hopkins will bust in Banderas' balls and it it, it plays well. It, it super duper plays well. Yeah, and I didn't know Anthony Hopkins was so barrel chested. Like, I mean, is this a, oh yeah, the same Ricardo Montalban fake chest conspiracy or is <laughs> the, like, good I, question? Like, it's the like um act in this movie. That role was offered to Sean Connery before he um, Sean Connery turned it down, and then uh, I think he's done enough Spaniard work with the Highlander. Um, although, can you imagine? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, we he didn't need is, to go there twice. Yeah, I think he's actually Egyptian in that movie. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Sure. I'm not kidding. He's I've, like, oh he's, gosh, that's rough. Yeah, he's like an Egyptian Spaniard, and mm-hmm. Christopher Lambert is somebody's Egyptian in that movie, yeah. and it's it's not who it should be. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But the anyways, other- go ahead. The other casting maybe was uh, Raul Julia was supposed to play, was possibly going to play Don Diego. Yeah, that's another Raul Julia he, obviously reference. he died, you know, um, and it'd the, at least be Hispanic. So, what was the other movie we were talking about that Raul Julia might be in? Um, Desperado. He was supposed Desperado, to be the big heavy yeah. in Desperado. So. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, I, you know what I uh, just like I said with the Desperado episode, I think mm-hmm. I think he'd be would it. Would it be interesting? Yes, but I'm not going to replace yeah. Stuart Wilson in this one. Um, funny thing, the guy who replaced Julia in Desperado, Joaquin de Alameda, um, mm-hmm. who was our heavy in Desperado, he was cut out of this movie. Uh, he mm-hmm. was playing General Santa Ana from history. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a deleted scene where after the big explosion at the mine and Zorro's walking the people back to the to the village or whatever, and you know they've you know, got rid of the gold or whatever, and they run into Santa Ana and his army, and Joaquin has a has a scene where he speaks to Zorro and, you know, kind of one of those, you know, thanks for saving my country kind of things where it, um, it, it was extra. It took you away from the climax of the movie and it was a good deleted scene, but it shows up on the DVD. Pretty cool. Um, and I will, I will yeah. say there is another actor in this, the entire freaking movie. I was like, Oh, that's F Murray Abraham. And it's not, it's a actor named Tony Amendola. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's one of the dons. Like, yeah. I thought it was F. Murray Abraham the entire movie. <laughs> so. Yeah, dude looks good. But uh, yeah, yeah. There's um and like there's a lot of like um what other podcasts and people say. There's a lot of that guys in here. Like Tommy Amendola has been in a movie or two. Uh, Victor Rivers, who plays uh, Alejandro's departed brother, he's been in a movie or two. I think he's in Heat. Um, you got L. Q. Jones as Three Finger Jack. He's kind of that you know, not he's. I always mistake him for like the manager for Major League, where he's kind of that same rednecky, low yeah. voice, tobacco chewing, swilling kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And then you got Maury Chaikin as the prison warden. He was in da- Dance with the Wolves. He's done a few movies. And um, I think the other kind of curveball old story about this movie is this was um, Robert Rodriguez wanted this movie bad, uh, mm-hmm. and obviously just worked with you know worked with Banderas, but he wanted this to be R rated and and hardcore a little bit. And mm. I can only imagine, I'm, I'm glad this plays to a wider crowd, but I would still gladly watch a badass R rated still Banderas, some Hayek instead of, I think he wanted Hayek again. Um, I, mm. I'd watch that movie. Um, would I watch it? Yes. Would I think it fits with what Zorro True. is? Oh, I know. I think you no. need, you need to swash book on the light. I'm with you there, yeah, but I, I'd I, still yeah. watch the other one. Oh, for sure. I, I would watch it. I just don't know yeah. if it would. I don't know if I would like it because I, something about this movie, like I said, it, there are some stakes and there are a couple PG 13 moments, but for the most part, 
it really feels like a love note to yesteryear. And I, I think that might be lost. If it was hyper violent rated R and, mm-hmm. you know, all that. Yeah. The other guy who was supposed to, you know, was offered the director's chair, stayed on as the executive producer was Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? That? Well, That's... I mean, I, I think that would be an even better movie if that oh, were the case. Of course. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, for sure. Well, you know what? And, and we'll talk about this more in our next episode, but mm-hmm. Martin Campbell, definitely, I think, a deep cut director, one that does not get a lot of credit, despite the fact that. He's he knows how to direct an action movie. Like he yeah. is a very uh, above legit. average, yeah. legit action director, knows what he's doing, and kind of goes under the radar. I mean, mm-hmm. I know this was a big hit. Obviously, the two Bond films he did was a big hit. Um, and I, I was also surprised to learn that Vertical Limit, something I haven't seen, was Decent a huge, movie. huge moneymaker too. It made like yeah, over two Vertical Limit did good. So so um yeah I, I you know i think he doesn't get enough love um he's obviously made a couple of decisions <laughs> you know in yeah. his career that had an effect on him like green lantern but uh yeah green lantern really really sank him like that i mean the run he was on so 94 no escape 95 golden eye 98 mask Zorro, vertical limit 2000 beyond borders so so i mean it i mean it you're working with Jolie and Clive Owen, two hot young people doing At hot young time, things. Big, big stars. Big At that big time, stars. that's that's a get of two stars. Legend of Zorro, just to do Legend of Zorro, and then Casino Royale, you know, Rebirth spawned fantastically, which was stunning because you didn't know they had it in them when it was, um, oh, they brought back the Golden Eye guy. Oh, they brought back the same writers from the Bros and stuff, and they're doing new, you know, how's this supposed to be a new character? And then they build the arc that they build, which is incredible. Yeah. Um. You can say that the East, the Mel Gibson Edge of Darkness thing was a bit of a step down, and then Green Lantern sank him. Didn't make a movie for six years. So, yeah. However, that buried him hard. However, he did make the underrated, phenomenal Jackie Chan film. I got to get that. I got to catch uh, up. To I think get you that. would love it because I think so too. Unlike, unlike a lot of action stars who don't want to age, it plays with the fact that Jackie Chan is older. Okay. And Pierce Brosnan is amazing. It's it's just I, a great, great movie. Uh he did the protege, which I don't know if it made a lot of money, and it's okay. It's not wonderful. It does have some interesting actors in it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh I haven't seen memory. But yeah, he's obviously not in his heyday of where he was. Sure. You know, in terms but you know what? He still knows how to even though the pro- protege was a very forgettable three star movie for me, like I what I do remember of it is some excellently paced, fantastically directed mm. action scenes. And and so you're at least going to get that when you get a Mark Campbell yeah. uh, production. Have you heard the rumor that went around about four years ago of uh, the crossover? They did a crossover comic book series mm. where Zorro met Django from Django Unchained with Tarantino. Interesting. And Tarantino and Fox have both expressed interest in having Banderas back to play Zora if they were to ever to make a film would you i could that work like because remember zoro so cute and obviously they went the pg route here comes Django freeman blowing motherfuckers away could that work well okay so or is that just tough. better that's on the comic book pitch well here's here's the thing um yeah. 
I don't want to be hypocritical because I just said I wouldn't like Robert Rodriguez's <laughs> hardcore. But the other yeah. thing is I also don't um, think of Robert Rodriguez as accomplished or as effective as a director as Tarantino. Uh, I'll, I'll grant that, yeah. Especially because Tarantino is, if anything, a master of homage to genre. Mm, yeah, so like he'd would, make a hell of a Zorro movie that just happens to have yeah, Django in it, wouldn't he? Yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying. Is I, I would trust him to be not, not necessarily faithful to the history because that's kind of his thing is rewriting right, history right. and stuff. But if you were to make a genre, like I wouldn't, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I, I don't trust Robert Rodriguez to make a genre film like that mm-hmm. without it either being totally a mess or just not quite hitting the mark. Whereas I have a little bit more faith in Tarantino being able to stick the landing of something that is something that's in his milieu, which is blending different Mm -hmm. types of genre characters and concepts, you know, like however he does it, he knows how to, you know, mix, you know, like in his best films, he knows how to mix these different, cultural things that seem like they would clash but work you know yeah. he, like like the fact that he can have you know surf music mixed with hitmen mm-hmm. you know and he can put like modern day rap mixed in like you know slave slavery times like he just he knows right. how to blend that tone just perfectly so if if you told me Tarantino's doing a movie where Django and Zorro are in it together, I probably would be on board with that. In yeah, any way. <laughs> take my money. I'm there with you. you that know. one I would watch and probably like, unlike the Robert Rodriguez one where I would watch it, but probably not like it. Yeah. Final question for you here. Um, yeah. I, I, Zorro's one of those characters. Obviously, you know, these are 1860s, but you know, how old are these books? I, I read them uh, in 1919 eight- was when he first yeah, so. You've got a century-old IP character. It's mm-hmm. been done many ways in lots of places with, obviously, novels and comics. Um, mm-hmm. the, when Mask of Zorro came out, it was the 10th Zorro iteration in, in what would have been 80 years. Um, they've never made another American theatrical film since 2005 with Legend of Zorro. Um, if, this were to, if they were to do this today, I'm always afraid they would superhero it up. Or, you know, but um, mm-hmm. could, could it be done? I feel like this is going to stay a time capsule. Like, I don't want to say white savior crap, but like it, it's it feels like one of those movies that people wouldn't touch without screwing it up. Could it be done today? I don't think, and this is despite some of the things that I love. You know, yeah, I don't think um, studios have. I guess the way to describe this is they, I don't think they would take, they would have the patience and time to try to make it a one-off. And if it works, do a sequel. Yeah. Or create a universe. So I don't think they have the patience to do that. So the only alternative is squeeze the IP for what it's worth. Try to make it a universe. Maybe try to fit it in with other things. Mm. I, I don't think the patience is there. And unfortunately, I don't think, the market is there because I, I, that was my answer too. where I, I th- I'm not saying who's like doing, who's doing period swashbuckling movies or has an eye for no, it. I, I don't yeah. mean it like that. I mean, okay. That what I mean is, is unfortunately like one of the things that 
my beloved MCU started was everyone trying to get a universe going like a a cinematic Mm, universe. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And unfortunately for better or worse, and even the MCU is starting to feel it now in its own way, you know, that concept just has not been able to, to, to latch on, but it, but Hollywood is still trying, Yeah, you know? And I feel like at this point in the market, like if they tried to make a Zorro universe or something, it would just be another failure of that format. They have to, it would have to be something that would be, uh, they would have to take, uh, you know, they'd have to take the James Bond approach. Mm-hmm. One thing I will give the James Bond films of the Daniel Craig era is they never like succumb to that. We need a sequel. Now we need content. Now stuff. They, they made five movies yeah. for better or worse. One with big one storyline that mm-hmm. surpassed like 15 years or something. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of that personally. Uh, I think the story is muddled and kind of complex, too complex, but they would have to take the bond approach, which is let's make an amazing Zorro movie like Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. If it works great, we'll take our time and make another one. Do I have faith that studios have the patience to do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Not. Or the bankroll. Does this, I mean, I, then I had turned my eyes to television. Like, does this work better? Oh, this them, would be like, like a CW thing, you know? Yeah. Oh God, no, 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 no. I, I no, but think, give it some, give it a little pulp someplace else. I think this is this would be ripe for HBO or Showtime, like mm, something where you I can would love that. Yeah, something where you can be a little bit darker. You don't have to worry about sponsors. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make it rated R and grizzly, yeah. but you can push things a little bit. That that's the thing. I guess I was getting at the beginning of my whole thing. About I hear what you say. The trailer for this. Oh, had that so it had that little risque sexiness to the it sizzle. that made it just yeah. a little bit like i said if i was sitting next to my parents i would be a little bit embarrassed because yeah it's just a little bit over that edge you know it's a little oh yeah bit, it's pushing that boundary you know like that and, um that classic that classic you know stripped uh, that strip sword scene like they yeah. the lines in there you know as well as obviously the acts you know uh mm-hmm. oh it's just so it's from a different movie entirely but it still fits yeah. in this one and it's a yeah. cute little i mean cute little pause button moment in the middle of another action scene but it just is so good yeah you, just, you would just need to have a platform that could be pg-13 pushing the boundaries a little bit mm-hmm. and i think something like a private network maybe an fx could do it though i doubt they have like kind of viewership that would i think be, you're back to yeah to that. so I, i'm you're thinking back like to audience or showtime mm-hmm. i think is what would give it enough of that prestige uh it you know for better or worse like certain things on hbo or showtime get that little special bump of of uh what it you know uh uh what's the word i'm looking for uh not um for real but um what, what's, the, what's the word i'm looking for where i don't it know it's when you um uh not authentic um like by the fact oh. that it's on that network like a24 ah, gets this by the bit, fact pedigree so right so like yeah yeah, yeah. on something like that someone, would, someone sure. wouldn't laugh it off because it's a guy in a mask and a sword right like someone would be because like, it's okay, on fx the station that brought us sharknado yeah yeah but, versus well, you're right Ooh, am, you know. but yeah yeah but no, but no. no. You know what I mean? So I think yeah, I do. it would it, you'd be able to get over that hump. Like that's how mm-hmm. Game of Thrones was such a big show because fantasy for a lot of people other than Lord of the Rings is a hard sell. 
So if you put it on HBO and you're like, oh, HBO's putting money into this, so I can I can right. totally buy dragons and shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- I think it would have the same effect on Zoro. You could be like, okay, yeah. it is a little bit old fashioned. <laughs> you know, it's basically right. pr- Batman before Batman, and it's it's True. in the desert and horse and carriages and all that shit. But you know, so apparently it's got the pedigree of HBO. Yeah. This is apparently what's coming, and I wonder if this is an ownership thing. Um, there's a Disney Plus series in the works with Wilmer Valderrama, who will executive produce and star, and they're going to kind of do this where it's set in Pueblo de Los Angeles, but it's told in a very, quote-unquote, modern telenovela style. Can you squeeze the, the bravada and passion with that style and get something successful as much as we're talking about pulp and action and fun. Probably could. This is still sexy. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know how long you, I, the shelf life I, is for that, but I'm not sure how much I like the star of that. In it, Wilmer. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, know he's, he's aged down, well, but you're going down from, oh, from I mean, Antonio if, if, Banderas. Looking, if Antonio Banderas yeah. to this, I don't, well, no right. offense to Wilmer Valderrama, but you know, yeah. like you could do better than Wilder Valderrama. Yeah. I don't know. I'm All not right. sure. Well, hey. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for doing this one. Thanks for entertaining me on something from the top ten. Uh, it's my again twice now. My turn to get into your top ten in a future episode. Here we, there's too we'll many good there. things. We'll, we will. We'll, we'll get there. It's a lot of horror, so I don't know how much you're. Gonna I know, happen, but, but hey, that's those are the fun shows. If I can get there, I can get there. You know, well, Halloween, I'm ready for, but we're waiting for some good guests. I hope so. So yes, so. absolutely. Yeah, and, I, and I need to be ready for that. That's gonna be like a special event for me because Halloween yeah. to me. And you can tell the way you talked about this movie, like, you know, mm. your five minutes was really like 10. I know. I, I you know everything about it. You I know do. everything yeah. about it. And like, that's kind of like me with Halloween. Like I have so much to say, not just about the film, but like the experience of it, like what it means oh, yeah. to me. You know what I mean? So like, that's one where we're going to have to have, you know, special, <laughs> a special time dedicated to that one. Yeah. Mitch is going to chop it into a two-parter. It's going to happen. Yeah, indeed. All right. Um, all right, guys. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for talking about this one, Don. I appreciate it. Um, I bet you. Follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit, on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find both of us by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25 Wild Media. If you enjoy this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. <laughs>